Hey, how are you doing? I'm Daniel Ruiz Tyson. It is the 15th of December, day 15 of Daniel Ruiz Tyson's Advent Calendar 24 daily podcast to take you right up to Christmas as I look to see if it is possible for me to ever love Christmas again like I did back in my younger days. Today is uh, another day with special significance for me. You might be thinking by now, blimey, this guy attaches special significance to pretty much every day. Maybe you're right. This is the way I'm built. I'm prone to the overthinking. The road to get to where I am today, which bearing in mind back in May 1989, I promised my mum I'd have retired by 1994 on the back of a novel based on my experiences in Store 34, has been far rockier than I could ever have expected it to be and seen me have to claw my way out of a number of black holes. In December 2010, as documented earlier on in my advent calendar, I found myself marooned in a hotel having pretty much lost everything that year, and Christmas was rapidly closing in. If I'd woken up in that hotel that Christmas day, I think there's a chance there wouldn't have been another Christmas in me. On the 15th of December 2010, I made my first visit to see someone in hospital, as my doctor, aware of my situation, and perhaps figuring he owed me one having laughed me out of his surgery in January 1984 when, accompanied by my mum, I expressed my concern I might be infertile and aware that 26 years on I was still childless and that maybe the young boy who had visited him had a point, fast-tracked me and managed to get me referred to a psychotherapy clinic at the hospital. Four years on, I took a trip to the hospital to walk its corridors and reflect on where I was in my life that day, one of maybe the two grimmest Christmases I ever had, and to look back on how that clinic saved me. Today I've come to uh, St Thomas's Hospital in Waterloo. Four years ago, on the 15th of December, I came here for the first time to see a counsellor who would really help me turn things around obviously it's their job to help you do that but I never forgot that was something of a turning point for me Christmas felt like a million miles away that year as I said back in the first week of this calendar I think the only thing that mattered to me back then was to make sure I wasn't in the hotel come Christmas day morning that's kind of how I knew Christmas still mattered just a little bit to me that was it. It was a godsend to come here four years ago. Over the last four years I haven't been able to decide whether it's something I should talk about more or should talk about less. It caused me problems with employers. I was sacked on one occasion because the job found out. I was never ashamed of it. One of the things that had contributed towards it was the collapse of the career and the subsequent struggle to hold on to P45, so I recognised that I needed a job to at least help me stand a chance of getting through everything and to not have a job wasn't going to help, so I just sought to protect myself as best I could. But I'd always wished that I was one of these people, you know, wealthy people, people doing well who could talk openly about what, as a friend once said to me, could happen when you made three or four bad decisions. We're all three or four bad decisions away from being in this kind of situation and to be honest I'd exceeded those three or four bad decisions. I think I was up to about 20 or 21 at that time. 
So I came here, and I think it was a Wednesday that year, a week away from Christmas. I don't think I'd ever felt so alone. I think at the time I'd got addicted to these square crisps. Marks and Spencers were selling huge packets. I ate one of them on the way here. I knew what to expect because I'd been to these things before, but never been to these things before, recognising that really it was a final chance. I'd had these opportunities before and never really used them to my benefit. I was just box ticking, really. As usual, these things, I found that the psychotherapy department at St. Thomas's was located in the basement. That's while we're all encouraged to talk openly about our issues when you actually arrive at the place that helps you. It's almost like the hospital itself doesn't want to acknowledge the problem. I don't think I've ever been to one of these things where it involved going up a flight of stairs. It was always descending into the bowels of a building. And it was always after hours because I needed to try and hold on to my job. So I'd be coming here, I think, for about seven or eight in the evening. My counsellor, I remember never wore socks regardless of the weather and I would be seeing him for the next year and that never changed. He was a very thin, wiry man. 50s, late 50s, early 60s. Shaven-headed. Lovely man. And he told me I was being too hard on myself. To know that I had the opportunity to come here I think kept me going over that Christmas. I talked about everything through him. I was able to establish that I had a history of dating women with large heads and problematic dads. I was able to look at all the mistakes I'd made. I was able to look at the opportunities I'd had to turn things around after losing my parents' opportunities I hadn't taken because I'd just buried my head in the sand and carried on and thrown everything into the career. It just felt very lonely, those first couple of appointments before Christmas. I could not believe that I found myself in this situation with Christmas coming up. Thankfully, every Christmas after that slowly got better. you know. And here I am, four years on, talking about re-engaging with Christmas. There was none of that four years ago. Four years ago, the world stopped for me. Without Christmas 2010, I wouldn't be here. That sockless counsellor helped me turn things around and here I am looking forward to eating lots of meat. That slow road to recovery, it started here. It started in these corridors late on those Wednesday nights. It was arguably one of the most important things I've ever done and it's important for me to acknowledge that. Every day I open a door to my advent calendar. If you're listening to this on iTunes, then visit holdfastnetwork.com where you'll be able to see the pictures behind the doors each day. Behind today's door is a picture of a Sabucho Table Soccer Club edition, the standout present of. And I'm not 100% sure about this one, but I think it's Christmas 78, just days after my drummer boy star and roll in the school nativity play. Or it might be the following Christmas, but it's definitely 78 or 79, but I'm going with the former. And it was the standout present of any Christmas. This was the one gift 
that came closest to me being seduced by Christmas Day. It's a, a zombie edition, unfortunately for me, like the one you can see in the picture. Call zombie figures uh, by Sabucho fans because after the game took off in the late 70s, to cope with demand, Sabucho began to make its hand-painted figures in a different way. And the shapeless figures of that period were widely derided by Sabucho fans, including myself. Each edition came with the standard number one and number two teams, Ipswich and Barnsley. That's how you bought your Sabucho teams back in the day. You would go into the shop and you would ask for them by numbers rather than Nottingham Forest or Barnsley because often a team, a Sabucho team, represented more than one team. Uh, 41 Liverpool, that was Liverpool, that was Scunthorpe, that was some other team as well. Number one, I think, was Forest, that was also Barnsley. So you always asked for them by number. So the first set came with Ipswich and Barnsley. Even now, I still remember the numbers of the major teams. 41 and 48, my first ever two door numbers in Mayflower were, as I said, Liverpool. That was number 41. Number 48 was Spain. Madrid were number 21. Manchester United were number 50. The Sabucho wall chart was one of the most beautiful things of my childhood, I think. There were about 400 teams on the wall chart. It was an absolutely beautiful thing. If I'd had my own bedroom, that would have been the first thing to have gone up on my wall. We'd get our teams from Frank Johnson's sports shop on Ferndale Road in Brixton. One of the guys working at Frank Johnson's was uh, one of the uh, early pioneers of the hair transplant. I remember I'd always go in and ask for my Sabucho team by number and I'd just study his scalp. I was only seven or eight years old and I'd see all these little holes in his head and this kind of dolls-like hair growing out of it very slowly. Even at that age, I thought, that's not really working out. That doesn't look like real hair. My dad tended to tamper with the rules of any game. The day I got my Sabucho set, whether it was Christmas 78 or Christmas 79, my cousin stayed over that night. And my dad that evening had us playing a very different version of Sabucho. In a two-a-side game, anticipating the 80s sport for all ethos in which people of all sizes were allowed to play for their school sports teams to the detriment of actually winning anything, both sides that night were invited to touch the ball once. It was like tiki-taka gone wrong with the ball staying in the centre of the pitch for most of the evening. It had been a battle to get Sabucho off my dad. My older cousin, my hero as a kid, till I outgrew him by the time I moved into my teens, he'd got a Sabucho set a couple of years before me. I was mesmerised seeing it. I'd never seen anything like it. It required skill, unlike the table football game I'd got in the unwrapped Christmas of 76. But my dad had been reluctant to buy it for me. Instead, he embarked upon a two-year doomed project that may have in fact started while we were at our first bedsit in Mayflower, now that I think about it, trying to make his own version of Sabucho out of wood, an experience which almost broke him with my constant inquiries seeking to establish its launch date. From very early on, it was obvious this alternative Sabucho, with its enormous wooden figures, wasn't working out. My dad was unable to bring himself to toss this aborted venture out until the late 80s, by which time I had almost 100 Sabucho teams. My dad never liked me playing Sabucho. He wanted me outdoors, toughening up like he did in 40s and 50s Spain, 
And I think that was largely behind his decision to bring in the grifter in Christmas 1980. Let's do this again tomorrow. Daniel Ruiz Tyson's Advent Calendar is a Holdfast Network production. Visit holdfastnetwork.com or download the show on iTunes. For more of Daniel's work, visit 1607westegg.wordpress.com and you can follow him on Twitter at 1607westegg.